Welcome to Celebration Church's podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and trust Him more. To learn more about Celebration Church, please visit us at celebrationchurchlive.com. Amen. Um, well, we are in the second part of our Christmas series, and we've called it Christmas Tags because I tell you what, um, growing up, I always enjoyed um, the being able to to look at the gifts under the tree and find my name on one of those gifts. Those tags were just so exciting to be able to see what was there. And as we look at this holiday season, we need to remember that that the Scriptures tell us that for unto us was born a Savior. Um, Your name is on the tag, on the greatest gift ever given, your name. It is to you. And in this season, we need to make sure that we remember that. And so if you'll just kind of join me that we're kind of launching with this idea that Christmas is the time for us to reflect on the greatest gift we've ever received, and that is Jesus. And we can easily with all of the different pressures and everything going on with the holiday season, we can get kind of wrapped up in all of that and forget what it is really about. We can miss the headline, the really big news, in the middle of all of the other stuff of, of Christmas. And one of, my, one of my favorite stories of this actually happened over 100 years ago, um, quickly ho- approaching 120 years ago, uh, when in 1903, in December of 1903, when Orville and Wilbur Wright finally broke the surly bonds of earth and flew for the very first time. Now, I realize as a proud Texan um, that there outside of Luke and Bach, there is a guy who, who they say flew before Orville and Wilbur. So for all you proud Texans who say Texans flew first, North Carolinians are chumps, we did it first. Um, you, the, the, the history books still say it was the Wright brothers, so we're going to go with that. So, um, but Orville and Wilbur fly, and they fly 120 feet. So now the big steel beams that run the length of our building are 177 feet long. So, so 120 feet isn't that far. In fact, they, they'd have taken off about this wall and flown, and our nursery's just kind of on the other side of that, and they would have flown across and landed on our children, and that's where... That's where they landed, is, is on the toddlers. And so um, that, was, that was the length of their flight. It wasn't, you know, super long. They couldn't have even, you know, flown over the top of our facility, but they flew. It was amazing. They flew. So they send a telegram. They send a telegram to their sister to let them know their amazing news. And this was the telegram that they sent to their sister, Catherine, and says, we have flown 120 feet. We'll be home for Christmas. Short little telegram, had to pay by the word. She gets that from the telegram uh, office and immediately sees this amazing news, goes down to the local newspaper editor and is given him the lead story of all lead stories. An amazing moment in human history that man has flown for the very first time. She just goes into the newspaper editor's office, slaps down the telegram on his desk and says, read this. 
And she, he just looks over, reads it, glances at it, and says, oh, how nice. The boys will be home for Christmas. He just misses the big headline that they had flown 120 feet. Yes, it's awesome to, for the people that we get to connect with. Yes, that it is wonderful. And I get it that so many times we can, normal, we'll be able to focus on the people we do get to connect with. In 2020, our mind and our energy can be focused on the people we're not going to get to connect with, the people that don't get to come for the holidays because of the rising cases and a lot of those different things. And, so, and in this season, that can be the headline where it's just not going to be the same. It's just not going to feel like Christmas because we don't get to connect. They're not going to be home for the holidays. And in this, in this season, above all, we need to remember the real headline. And yes, we love getting together as a family. And yes, all those things are important. But the real headline is God sent us Jesus. That Jesus is the real headline. And if we will keep that at the center of what Christmas is about, then the rest of the pieces can fall together. And I can tell you, you know, as disappointing as it is to maybe not see some of your beloved family members this season, I'm telling you, if we keep Jesus at the center of it, God will make a way to be able to connect and to be a part and to fill those gaps because God is just good that way. We look Isaiah chapter 9. Verse 6, we see our names on the tag of Christmas. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This, this is who he is. This is what he's what he wants to be known as. And as Jesus is coming on to the scene, then he wants us to make sure we know it is for us. Uh, this past Wednesday, I got to sit in and hear our second oldest son preach at youth this past week. And so Weston Clark um, was preaching over to the, to the youth and they're going off of the... Christmas tag series, so he was covering a bunch of the ground that we covered this last week, and so, but of course, he kind of wanted to do it his own, his own way, and, and brought up the story about um, one of the things that I did as a dad is that I liked to mess with my kids a little bit at the Christmas season, and so we would put their presents out, but they would do what I did as a kid. And they would go and snoop and they would find them. I finally wrapped some gifts and have them under the tree. And this week, it, they hadn't been out an hour. And they had already been shuffled, moved around. The kids had already trying to figure out who's got what, all this kind of stuff. I'm like, quit messing with the gifts. Leave them alone. And uh, anyways, and so, and I was like, okay, I'm just going to beat my kids at this Christmas tag game. So the first year, we decided that I wasn't going to put names. I just put symbols. 
And so we used a symbol form, and it was a crackable code. I was like, there's a code here. You can figure it out. It's not random. And so you can do it, and then they put their little heads together, and they cracked the code. And so the symbol ended up being based on their birth order and how many lines it took to make that symbol. And so they were able to, to crack it. And so Keenan was a circle. It's one line. I, I couldn't do a dot. That'd be weird. And so, and uh, so Brooklyn was a was a plus sign and with two lines. West in a triangle. You see how that goes. And so, and uh, but with that, um, my whole point of that system um, was to keep them guessing that there was something there, and they knew there was stuff there under there for them, but. I didn't want them to be able to get in there and figure out their gifts and shake their gifts and be able to know exactly what was theirs. See, God made it right from the beginning, well before he ever even gave the gift. He wanted to make sure that's what the prophecy of Isaiah is about. He wasn't messing with us as children. He's a lot better dad than me. He wasn't messing with the kids. He wasn't trying to keep it a mystery. He wanted the mystery to be known. He said, this is for you. I'm doing this for you. And this is what's going to be inside it. He made sure we, we had an idea of what we were going to be getting. It wasn't just that our name is clearly on the tag, that it's for us, but that we were getting a wonderful counselor, a, a mighty God, that we were going to be getting the everlasting Father and the, and the Prince of Peace, that that was what we were going to be receiving and so during this holiday season, we need to make sure that that's the gifts we're looking for. Your name is on it, and you need to make sure you're looking for it. So last week, we looked at it being a, a that he was a wonderful counselor, and today we're going to be looking that we've received a mighty God. And when God gave us the gift of Jesus, he gave us his, uh, the power of his presence. He gave us... God with us. And when we, when we only reserve that name, Emmanuel, and we don't live in it all year long, sometimes we can forget that that was the number one thing God wanted to make sure right out of the gate, that when he gave us the greatest gift ever, he gave us the gift of his presence. As a pastor, I um, often get the privilege of getting to be reached out to and connected when people are having some of the really toughest times, that, that things are really difficult and, and hard in life. And as people are being honest and just talking about some of those things, they'll, a common question they'll say is, you know, pastor, you know, where, where is God in this? Where, where is he in this? And I will immediately begin to coach them back and remind them, say, look, he is Emmanuel. He is God with you. Just the fact that, that there's a storm, just the fact that there's something going on in your life, some difficulty doesn't mean he's not there. And, and we remember there when Jesus was with his disciples in this place where we begin to challenge and, and wonder, God, where are you in it? His very disciples with living, breathing Jesus, they asked the same questions. They had the same frustrations and they get in a boat and Jesus takes a nap and he chills out in the front part of the boat and a storm comes up and the storm is rocking the boat and Jesus is chilling. 
Jesus is asleep, and he's just completely chilling in the middle of it, and his disciples are freaking out. And they go over to him, and they wake him up, and they say, don't you care if we drown out here? He was in the boat. They're not doing it from their boat yelling at Jesus with his little beachfront property, him kicking back and watching them struggle out there. That wasn't what was going on. He was in the boat with them. He was physically with them in the middle of their storm with them, but their response was still, don't you care? Don't you care? They forgot that he was the God of you that was right there. And immediately he calms the storm and then challenges them. Says, why did you freak out? Why were you, where was your faith in the middle of this? Faith in what? Faith that if Jesus was relaxed in the middle of the storm, then it's probably going to be okay. It's probably going to be all right. The problem is, is that we expect the storm-free life. And what God, what Jesus reminded us is that in this world we would have trouble, but to take heart, he's overcome. He is, he is with us. As we look at John chapter 16 verse 7 it says but very truly i tell you it is for your good that i'm going away unless i go away the advocate will not come to you but if i go i will send him to you we looked at this very passage last week that as we as we have the holy spirit alive and dwelling on the inside of us we have the very power of his presence and the power of his presence ought to begin to to transform everything about our lives. In fact, Paul writes and reminds the Corinthian believers in 1 Corinthians 3.16, it says, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst, dwells within you? Your God's spirit lives in you. He says, don't you remember that? This little passage of scripture is found in a place where Paul is actually bringing some correction to the fact that these groups of believers who are reading Paul's letter, who care enough about their life in Christ to read a letter from Paul, these people were doing some stuff that was not okay. It was not all right at all. And his response to them wasn't, to, wasn't to, to yank their chain. It was to remind them that the Spirit of God lives in them. Do you remember that you have the very Spirit of God? He hadn't abandoned them. He hadn't left them. Now, this, what he is rebuking them for, what he's telling them you need to stop doing is that there were those who were going <coughs> and sleeping with the temple prostitutes. So there were foreign gods, foreign temples, and there were... Parts of how they worshiped was with prostitutes. And there were those in the part of the early church in there who were going and participating in that. And he's like, no, no, no. Don't you remember that you have the Holy Spirit living in you? He's a part of you. He's alive in you. And remembering that God loves you so much that he is actually with you all the time, even in the middle of those moments when their worship was far from worshiping God, when their daily decisions were far from honoring God. 
He's like, he's with you. He's a part of you. Remember that? And that just calling that, the God is presence into remembrance that that would be enough to check and bring things back into a place of order. The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 13, 5 says, keep your lives free from the love of money and, and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So how is the love of money and the, the and the, and being bent towards greediness and all this stuff, how is this connected with remembering God's with us? Well, here's the problem is we tend to find ourselves chasing that kind of financial success, chasing that kind of financial hoard and, and, and putting away finances and resources and, and getting wrapped up in the love of money when we begin to think it's all on us. When it's my responsibility to take care of me and mine, and he's like, you know what? Not getting wrapped up in that. Remember that he says, I'm never going to leave you, and I'm never going to forsake you. I'm always going to take care of you. I'm your provider. I'm right there with you. You don't have to get wrapped up in all of that. Remembering that he gave us the gift of his presence, that begins to bring balance to our entire lives. And when we forget how present he is, immediately we begin to take things into our own hands, just like the disciples went and woke Jesus, said, aren't you going to do anything about this? Do you even love us? Do you even care? Every time we forget that he is with us, we begin to drift away from trusting him and knowing that, and we begin to take it within our own hands when we forget that he's with us. And we'll end up in all sorts of off, messed up places where we forget he's with us. That's why he gave us the gift of his presence straight off the bat. And I love it that every time he was still there, when the disciples thought Jesus didn't care, he cared. When Paul had to remind them you know what, the, the God who gave himself and died for you, he, he loves you and he's inside of you even when you're off. Hey, Corinthians, messing up. Hey, you who are killing yourself trying to provide for your family, you who are working way too many jobs, way too many hours, God is never gonna leave you and abandon you. It's not that he's, God's pouting and tapping his foot and say, how could you just do that, no, come back over to me. No, he's like, I'm with you in the middle of your toil. I'm with you in the middle of all that. He is with us. And if we begin to rest in that, the rest will fall aside. And when God gave us Jesus, he demonstrated the power of humility. When God came down from heaven in physical form, he could have done this in so many different ways. If we were writing the story of this, if this was a human narrative, uh, we would have had God show up on the human scene much differently. He'd have looked more like Thor. <laughs> he would have come to earth like Superman and that boom, and they just, and then just sit there and walk around and it's like, I'm about to fix this place. I told you don't make me come down here, and now I'm down here. We're about, we about to go. 
But when he came to earth, he didn't do it the way we expected him to do it. He came in a way to, for in way we would be most easily motivated to approach him. He wanted to make sure we were approachable. I told a story years ago that uh, when uh, uh, Colin and Pressy were a little younger and they were in the living room, I was in another room, and, and uh, all of a sudden hear a cry and uh, Pressy has, is crying. Colin, who's two years older, um, is, you know, immediately it begins to go into action. And, you know, cutie handle stuff. I didn't, sadly, I didn't jump up to do my dad thing. You know, there was lots of people handling it. And, um, and so, you know, the, she was crying. Everything was being handled. And um, then all of a sudden, Colin comes out of the out of the living room and she begins to come up to me and wanting to let me know what had just transpired, okay? I am daddy. I am her daddy. That is all she needs to know. But for whatever reason, she comes out of the living room and she's coming in and she says, Pastor Brandon. <laughs> I'm like, She never called me Pastor Brandon in her little life ever. She's about four years old. She's like, Pastor Brandon, um, I accidentally rocked my rocking chair and I didn't know Pressy's foot was there and I squished her toes. Pastor Brandon. And I'm like, it ought to be that daddy is the easiest thing to approach. But she was concerned because she also knew I was daddy to Pressy. So she wanted to find another place. It's like, I want to remind you, you're a pastor. <laughs> Before you respond, remember, this could affect your job. <laughs> you're a pastor. And she wanted to make sure that when she approached me, it was on the most approachable terms. God wanted to make sure when he presented himself, it was on the most approachable terms, and there was nothing more approachable than a baby. Nothing. He demonstrated his vulnerability. He demonstrated his accessibility, and that he came as a baby. Where immediately our response would be to, to want to connect, to want to be a part to want to draw near and to hold and, 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 and to feel connected. Not where we were afraid and distant. We already had that idea of him. He wanted to turn the, our, our ideas on their head and say, no, I'm approachable. And he did that through the form of a baby. And it was the most powerful image that we could have ever had because it began to fix everything, just the power of humility, and that baby came in the most humble of circumstances. It didn't come as a baby king, you know, wrapped in purple velvet and, you know, in some little, you know, golden, you know, little, little baby cradle and having all sorts of attendance and, you know, being able to, to be cleaned up and washed with just the most pure water. No, when he was born, he was born 
in a stable. His first bed was a feed trough. His mama cleaned him up with whatever water was on hand. And there's any place in all of human existence on any part of the globe, there's never been anybody, any birth come in in more lower circumstances. There have probably been millions and millions of babies born in that low of circumstances, but there's never been anybody born in lower circumstances. The God of the universe came in and presented himself in the most humble way because he didn't want it to be that, yeah, I've come for the important people. I've come for the people that, that make the decisions and make the rules and are impacting the globe. No, he was the savior for everybody. And he came in a way where we could all connect and we could all find our spot in him. That is the way he came in. That was the way he came in where we could all find our place in him. Luke chapter 2 verse 6 says, while they, were, <clears throat> while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. And she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger and a feed trough because there was no guest room available for them. There's this beautiful power of humility. Mark chapter 9, verse 35. says, sitting down, Jesus called the 12 and said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. Jesus lived out and said, greatness comes through just serving, just being humble and serving. You know, years ago, I went through a period in my, my early adult walk with God that I was like, you know what? You know, we're supposed to sing and praise and give honor and glory to Jesus. And, you know, this kind of seems like nepotism here. You know, God the Father is God. And, you know, then there's his son. And, you know, who's going to argue with God the Father? And, you know, of course, he makes him his son, King of kings and Lord of lords. And as I began to study it, you know, I was, you know, but I was like, this is kind of, we feel kind of boxed in to be embracing Jesus as this. And, and then as I begin to, to study more and see that, no, Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. He's at the highest place, the place of supremacy, Colossians says, because Jesus served humanity more than anybody has ever served humanity. Jesus laid down his life. Jesus left the glory of heaven. Jesus came and, and, and into a normal family, into a humble beginning. He came into a, into a blended family. Jesus had a stepdad. Jesus dealt with things that our normal, everyday life deals with. And he came in and he served, not as king of kings, but as servant of servants. And that is why. He is King of kings and Lord of lords because nobody's ever outserved Jesus. If you want to be, if, if the key to greatness is serving, Jesus is rightly King of kings and Lord of lords because he has served. He, he has served you like no one has ever served. When you didn't care, he willingly laid down his life. In fact, we, <clears throat> we see in 1 Peter 2, 23, says that when they had hurled their insults at him, he, he did not retaliate, but... He suffered and he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to them who judge, judges justly. And when God <clears throat> gave us Jesus, 
He gave us the power to overcome. John 16, says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. 1 John 5, 5 says, who is this that overcomes? Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus has overcome the world. And how do we live in that overcoming victory? Believing that he overcame. Placing our faith in him. That's how we overcome. We're the ones who overcome by believing that he overcame. By he, that he's the one who's done it. That he is enough. 1 Peter 2.24 says, but... He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. For by his wounds you have been healed. And then Romans 8, 32. I so appreciate that that was mentioned in our time of communion. That this is God's measure of his commitment to us, that he who did not spare his own son but gave himself up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? As we're dealing with the things of life, we don't have to worry if he might do it. Well, he might. See, we have a mighty God, not a mighty God. Sometimes we think, we come to him and say, well, God's capable and he might do it and he might not. He's mighty. No, he is mighty. He is strong. He is powerful. He has demonstrated once and for all his level of commitment to us. We have a mighty God who has demonstrated what he wants to do in our lives by giving us Jesus. If he'll give us Jesus, he gives us everything we need for life and godliness. God is mighty, not might-ish. So many times we go to God in prayer going, oh, I hope he will. Oh, I hope he does. When we have places as we have overcome is when we believe that he has overcome. See, our bottom line today is Jesus is the measure of God's commitment to us. Jesus is the measure of it. Anytime you wonder, is God committed to you? Think of Jesus. And yes. That's one of the beautiful things of this season is we remember that Jesus was a gift to us. That annually we remember that he came as a, as a baby in the most vulnerable, easy to connect with form so that we would connect with him. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Celebration Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.